After being kidnapped as an infant, the Danish nobleman Tycho Brahe went on to become one of the greatest astronomers of his day. Find out more about his weird life today on Footnoting History. As a preface to this podcast, I'd like to mention that I came into this project expecting to really like Tycho Brahe. I knew little about him aside from his nose, his elk, his insistence on scientific observation, and his model of the solar system. As I did my research, however, I discovered a man who is much more complex and interesting than I had expected. But he was also, as far as I can tell, paranoid, difficult to work with, vengeful, and at least a little conceited. The story I have to tell you today is an abbreviated one. I'm leaving out the details about Tycho's work, focusing instead on his interesting life. But just to give you a little background, Tycho Brahe was an astronomer in the late 16th century. His scientific importance stems from the methodologies he introduced. Brahe believed that it was important to have very accurate, consistent observations of the heavens in order to understand how the universe worked, and he set about making the most accurate set of observations in the early modern period. He also invented new technologies to aid in his project. Although Brahe had access to Copernicus's heliocentric theory, which was published shortly before he was born, he would find it impossible to adopt this idea. The impact it would have had on contemporary philosophy, theology, and even physics was simply too profound. However, he recognized that the traditional model did not work. The model that he came up with, known as the Tychonic model, suggested that the sun and the moon revolved around the earth, but the other planets rotated around the sun. Although this theory would never amount to much, the methods and technologies he used would have a huge impact on later astronomers. Born in 1546 in Denmark, Tycho Brahe was the oldest son of Otto Brahe and Beta Bille. As a side note, I'd like to mention that Danish noblewomen retained their maiden names and their connection to their birth families when they got married. Tycho's mother would have been a remarkable woman, surviving the birth of 12 children and living to be 78 years old. Tycho's family was part of the Danish nobility, and the heads of his family were normally part of the Rigsrad, a council of noblemen who effectively governed the realm in conjunction with the monarch. Shortly after he was born, Tycho was kidnapped by his father's older brother Jorgen, who was unable to have children of his own. Tycho would be raised effectively as an only child, and it was his stepmother, it seems, who encouraged him to receive a formal education. In this period, Danish noblemen typically did not receive much education. Some went to grammar schools which would teach them Latin, reading, writing, and the graces of the aristocracy, but very few attended university. Both the aristocracy and the middle class preferred it that way. The role of the aristocracy was to be courtiers, to fight, and to help govern the realm. Receiving a formal education was not necessary for these tasks, and could distract from them. From the perspective of the middle class, and I use this term with some trepidation to refer to wealthy tradesmen and priests who were not part of the nobility, noblemen had no place in the university. Typically, they proved to be dilettantes who wasted the time of serious scholars. Alternatively, as was the case with Tycho, those who were serious scholars also had strong relationships with the nobility and with the crown, 
This made them more likely to receive patronage, which might otherwise have gone to people who were supposed to be academics. Brahe himself did, as we will see, receive extensive patronage from the crown. His biggest boon, however, came in the form of a fiefdom, which could only be granted to a member of the aristocracy. In any case, when he was 12 years old, Tycho attended the University of Copenhagen for three years. He would then decide that that university did not have enough to offer him, and spent several years traveling to other universities in Europe, making it as far as Venice. Tycho's main course of study at this point was actually not astronomy, though that field was one of his many interests. Instead, he studied all of the humanities. He also had an interest in astrology and alchemy, both of which would remain serious pursuits for the rest of his life. During these travels, Tycho stayed for a time in Wittenberg, which was a popular venue of study for Danish students. While he was there, he had a falling out with another aristocratic Dane named Mandrup Parsberg. The two apparently had a fundamental disagreement about how to resolve a mathematical problem. And how do we resolve our mathematical differences? With a duel, of course. And here I might sound a little bit irreverent, but a duel actually was appropriate from a social perspective. Danish noblemen loved to fight duels. It became such a problem that the crown actually had to pass a law indicating that men who killed their brothers in a duel could not inherit their property. Otherwise, killing someone in a duel was considered fair game. In this case, no one died, but Tycho did lose most of his nose. He would soon design a metal prosthetic which became one of his most distinguishing and memorable features. According to legend, his nose was made of gold or silver, however legends can't be wrong. When Tycho was exhumed, the archaeologist discovered a green residue near the stump of his nose, which indicates that his prosthetic was made of copper or some sort of copper compound, though he may have had a dress nose made of precious metal. Tycho returned to Denmark in 1570 upon the death of his father. His stepfather had died before he lost his nose. Now, there was no primogenitor among the Danes, which meant that even though he was the oldest son, Tycho did not receive the entirety of his father's estate. Nevertheless, he did receive enough to ensure his financial independence. The next year, he moved to Herevad Abbey, where he would meet his future spouse. Tycho's choice of spouse was a scandalous one, for he fell in love with Kirsten Jorgen's daughter, a common woman. In this period, members of the aristocracy had formal surnames. Commoners received their names from their fathers. Because of this, it's difficult to know exactly who Kirsten was. There was a local priest named Jorgen, so she may have had middle-class origins, but she could also have been from a peasant family. Because of her status, the two could not formally be married, but Tycho would remain loyal to her for the rest of his life. She often traveled with him, and they would have a plethora of children together. Their children, however, would not have the right to inherit any of Tycho's property upon his death. When he died, his most valuable assets, his journals and research, would actually be stolen by his most prominent student, Johannes Kepler. Tycho established himself as an astronomer in 1572 when he discovered a new star, which was probably actually a supernova. Fascinated by this discovery, he wrote his first major treatise and moved to Copenhagen where he taught for a short time before deciding again to travel in Europe. A couple of years later, his cousin, King Frederick II, offered him the island of Venn in order to keep him in the kingdom. 
The island was a small and unimportant one. It had 40 farms on it, and that's about it. Traditionally, it was administered by noblemen who appointed people to collect taxes and rents while they lived on the mainland. Tycho, however, seized the opportunity to build himself a new home and research facility, which he named Uraniborg. The building was a small one by aristocratic standards. It was about a quarter the size of Tycho's childhood home, but it was designed to fit in with the classical architectural ideals which Tycho had studied. It was also intended to provide a noble residence, a top-rate observatory, an alchemist's laboratory, and an administrative center for the island. This rather isolated new home would allow Tycho Brahe the opportunity to make his mark in the history of astronomy. Even before Uraniborg was completed, Tycho began accepting students who had finished their time in Copenhagen and wanted to refine their knowledge of astronomy and astrology. He also kept writing, recording regular observations, and creating new instruments. During this time, Tycho typically tried to avoid attending court unless he needed something from the king or was summoned by him. Nevertheless, he did manage to get involved in a scandal when his brother Knud impregnated a young noblewoman outside of marriage. This crime was technically punishable by death. The unlucky couple came to Tycho for help, and he assisted his brother in his desperate flight abroad and put him in touch with friends who could shelter him in Germany and Italy. The woman went in disgrace to her father's manor and later married a commoner never to see her lover again. The king does not seem to have held these actions against Tycho. Instead, in return for his astrological expertise making predictions about the first two royal offspring, the king continued to give him fives. By the end of 1579, Tycho had the highest annual income of any scholar living in Europe. He would also, however, never be satisfied by his income and was continually asking for more. Once Uraniburg was completed, it became a destination for scholars. Some came hoping to become one of Tycho's disciples. Others just wanted to check out this new state-of-the-art facility. Their host, however, though happy to accept gifts, was secretive about his work, and perhaps with good cause, as one of the aspiring apprentices he rejected, a man named Ursus, stole the basic outline of his new model for the universe and tried unsuccessfully to pass it off as his own. Now, this is not to say that Tycho did not publish his work. He did. He even founded his own print shop on the island to save himself trips to Copenhagen. But many of the minute observations in his journals and the mathematical theories remained privileged, as did the design of his instruments. Tycho also appears to have been extremely specific in his requirements. His instruments had to fill his his instruments had to fulfill his meticulous standards. After years of having trouble finding competent artisans, Tycho formed his own workshop, refusing to name any of his artisans, lest they be poached by any of his competitors. He also appears to have been extremely hard on his assistants, and many of them did not last long at his observatories. Although Tycho's insistence on scientific accuracy is laudable by modern standards, some of his views are a little dated. He continued his work in alchemy, for example, and here he was even more secretive than in his astronomical work, refusing even to keep journals. Moreover, one of his longest-lasting assistants was a dwarf named Jeppe, whom Tycho believed to be prophetic. Tycho was also extremely suspicious of rabbits and old ladies, and purportedly refused to cross paths with them, even if that prevented him from accomplishing his appointed tasks. Tycho also maintained a pet elk, 
which he usually kept at his hereditary lands. Once, however, he tried to lend his elk to a potential patron. While waiting to be shipped, the elk walked up a flight of stairs into a manor house, where it found a keg of beer and got totally wasted. The animal fell down, broke its leg on the way back down the stairs, and, as a result, died. Brahe would later acquire two new elk, who apparently lived long, sober lives. Back in Fen, Tycho and his family lived and conducted research in relative comfort for 21 years, finding themselves supported first by King Frederick II and then by the council that served as regents for his son. During this time, Tycho spent money on instruments with relative abandon. He also worked really hard to ensure his children's future. He and his wife would have two sons and four daughters live to adulthood. His plans involved making favorable marriages for his daughters, a task which met with only mixed success, and to try to gain property for his sons. At this time in Denmark, it was illegal for non-nobles to inherit noble land. They could, however, own some types of property. So what Tycho tried to do was change the classification of Ven so that the island would be considered research property, not a noble fife. Frederick II consistently rejected these plans, but when he died in 1588, Tycho was successful in getting the Regency Council to grant his wish. They issued a document stating that Hven would be inherited by one of Tycho's sons if he proved to be a competent astronomer. Unfortunately, their declaration was not binding on future monarchs, um, and the future monarchs would reject this document. Moreover, even the documents that Tycho convinced his brothers to sign stating that his sons were his legal heirs would give them access only to his money, not his land. Things deteriorated for Tycho when Christian IV ascended to the throne in 1596. The new king did not, it appears, share his father's desire to fund the sciences. Within weeks of coming to the throne, he recalled Tycho's greatest property to the crown. The astronomer responded by packing up his instruments and moving to Copenhagen where he might be able to assert his will. As his plans continued to unravel, he moved his family to Germany, insulting Christian not only by leaving after such generosity had been lavished upon him, but also by sending letters which demanded reinstatement of his funds in unfriendly terms. He would not be successful in this endeavor and would spend the next two years in exile publishing various works and preparing to seek patronage from the Holy Roman Emperor Rudolf II, who was known for his intellectual interests. In the end, he received a very generous salary from the emperor and his choice of one of three estates a few hours outside of Prague. In spite of his good luck, Tycho was homesick for Denmark. He wrote home frequently and was criticized by more than one contemporary for spending more time drinking than doing anything scientific. Moreover, Tycho seems to have been interested in acquiring new assistants. He was notably joined by Kepler in 1600 after some initial misunderstandings and bad blood. He was also obsessed with his quest to destroy the reputation of Ursus, the man who had poached his theory. He was disappointed that Ursus died before the lawsuit against him was complete. And here, um, I'd like to note that although I haven't discussed them, Tycho was an extremely litigious person, and he sued people all the time with only very limited success. In this case, Tycho did get his revenge when he obtained an order for all of Ursus's books to be burned. He also attacked other academics whom he perceived to be treading on his ground. He was very protective of his turf. 
After his first nine months at the new manor, Tycho was recalled to Prague, where the emperor could have him at his beck and call to offer his astrological expertise. While he was still there, Tycho died unexpectedly at the age of 56, after five days of excruciating pain from what he self-diagnosed as a bladder infection. This explanation is the most likely, though some admirers have guessed that Tycho may have been poisoned, possibly even by Kepler, who took over his job and post at the imperial court. Kepler would receive only one-sixth of the salary that Brahe had been promised. After Tycho was interred in the great cathedral in Prague, his wife was able to purchase a small estate that would be passed on to their son, also named Tycho, something that would not have been possible had the family still been located in Denmark. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes.